My name is Melanie Borden, and welcome to the Make the Connection with Melanie Borden podcast. As founder and chief strategist at CyberSC, Dominic Vogel holds a proven track record within cybersecurity across multitude of industries, financial services, logistics, transportation, healthcare, government, telecommunications, and critical infrastructure. Dominic is a well-respected cybersecurity thought lead for appearing on media news outlets across North America and internationally on BBC World News. Dominic also hosts the Cybersecurity Matters podcast, a highly regarded podcast that explores the intersection between cybersecurity and business. Dominic focuses much of his energy on providing strategic security leadership to technology startups and small mid-sized businesses to proactively solve their cyber risk challenges. He strives to provide practical cybersecurity advice to his clients and actively turning the security consulting world upside down. He is also a self-professed positive troll and believes in the awesome power of uplifting others. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us today. Melanie, my friend, thank you so much for having me on your show. Really, really looking forward to the convo as always. Absolutely. And I will say that you are the positive troll. So that is very accurate. (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who don't know Dominic, he is known on LinkedIn as the positive troll. You always lift others up and you're always so positive. I truly believe not to go down the troll path too much, but I truly believe in the power of uplifting others. I truly believe in the power of sharing positive energy. And I truly believe that the word troll has been grossly underused in the positive sense, right? It shouldn't be a negative thing. I think trolling can be very much a positive thing. And I've been trying to do my part to change that narrative. (laughs) I love that. And I think that there's not that many people out there that really take that approach because most people hide behind their computers trolling in a negative way. And it's not the trolls that you see from the kids' movies with the rainbow (laughs) glitter. It's totally different. So we're going to talk today about cybersecurity, and I want to also talk about debunking some of those cybersecurity myths, because I know there's a lot of business owners and individuals who are listening right now, and I want them to kind of get more of an idea of what is happening today in 2022 with cybersecurity. So before we dig into that, can you talk a little bit about your journey and your career path and specifically how you got started with cybersecurity? Absolutely, Melanie. I always appreciate the opportunity to, to share my narrative. I am a bit of a comic book nerd, so I do like origin stories of people and then the superheroes. But for me, you know, I've been in the industry close to 15 years now. I've been very fortunate. Cybersecurity is all I've known professionally. And until recently, that was how I always wrapped up my professional identity was being a cybersecurity professional. So I spent much of my corporate days. I had a, a 10-year corporate career where I was mainly in the financial services sector. I was in charge of cybersecurity for a large credit union here in Vancouver, Canada, where I reside. And one day I woke up and I was like, wow, I really, really hate working for other people. So I've become an entrepreneur past five years, I've been growing CyberSC, which is my consulting and advisory company. There, it's allowed me to really focus on small and mid-sized organizations, a market which I feel historically has not 
being well served when it comes to cybersecurity and cyber risk management, a market that often gets overlooked by a lot of security vendors and consulting organizations. And it allows me to have very meaningful conversations with business owners, with executives in that space around what cyber risk currently looks like in 2022 and into the future and why in a very digital world that cyber risk is very no different than planning for operational risk or financial risk or personnel risk. It's a business risk. It's not an IT issue. So become a very skilled communicator or better communicator than many of my peers. And that's often where I focus much of my efforts is in communicating cyber risk in a way that will resonate with non-technical people. So my career trajectory has gone from being in sort of that career ladder driven focus, being a very active entrepreneur in, in the cybersecurity space. That's great. What does cyber risk mean to a business? That is a good question, Melanie. I'm glad that you asked that. I hinted at it for there where you know, I'm a big believer, and I, I actually hate the term cybersecurity, but it's the marketing term, and people have embraced that term, for better or for worse. But to me, cyber risk is understanding that in a very digital world, every organization is data-driven. If you think about it, even just a one-person startup, it's so reliant on technology, whether it be software as a service, the tools or platforms, right, your computer, right, your, where, you, where your customer data is, it's very data-driven. And in a very digitally connected world, with that, using that in that type of way, there is a risk that comes with that. It could be used against you. It could be stolen, used on the underground market. The availability of that data, you know, I always say to people, you know, I have a lot of organizations that will come to me and say, our data is not important. It's only important to us. But that's the thing. It's important to you. If someone was to prevent you from accessing that, you would pay handsomely to regain access to that. And that's what we're seeing now, especially with small and mid-sized organizations. It's you know an extension of something called ransomware, where your data is held for ransom. And if all of a sudden you can't access your data, the data that you need to do in order to fulfill your mission, to satisfy and work on your client work, your customer work, that costs you money, right? Many small and mid-sized businesses will pay through the nose to regain access to that. And that's why it's sort of talking about shattering myths. That's sort of a, a myth that I try to shatter is that even if you don't feel like it's sensitive or confidential data, it has value to you. And cyber criminals are taking advantage of that. So I realize I'm a fast talker. Somewhat veered off your own. Well, we're fine. Listen, I'm from New fine. Jersey. We move fast. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, cyber risk at its root is that, again, it's a business risk. And uh, you know it needs to have the oversight of the ownership or the executives. It's not something that you just give to the IT guy or to the CEO's brother-in-law, right? Who happens to also be the IT guy. It needs to have the governance and oversight of if there's a board or the executives, you treat it no differently than any other business risk. Because at the end of the day, especially in a data-driven world, it is a business risk. So is the ransomware, is that something that's really common? And where does that stem from? Yeah, really hitting me with good questions here, Valley. Ransomware is actually very, very common, though, and it is somewhat what I refer to as a digital wildfire, which is consuming small and mid-sized organizations. And a lot of people will say, well, we don't see about that in the news, right? We hear about it hitting enterprises or large organizations or right. you know, a public sector, like school districts or what have you. And again, there's a reason why you only hear the big ones. It's because no one knows about some small regional company in you know, Southwest Phoenix, as an example, right? But here in Vancouver, if it's a small organization, I always tell people for every big data breach story or ransomware story you hear in the news, there's about a dozen other little ones where you don't hear about those those organizations, right? Because they're very regional or they're smaller. And it's very much a, what I refer to as an existential risk. You know, one of the questions that I've posed to a lot of 
business owners, Melanie, is I'll say, who has the most to lose when it comes to ransomware or to a data breach? Is it the big enterprise company worth billions of dollars? Or is it the small organization that's maybe a $50 million company and has been around for 25 years? And they always say, oh, it's the big company, right? They have billions of dollars to lose. I always say, huh, gotcha. No, it's not because they have the financial war chest to survive a data breach. They have the financial war chest to, to, to survive that. It's not an existential risk for them. It's an existential risk for that $25 million company that an extra losing an extra $50,000 that could mean not meeting payroll for that month kind of thing. Right. Right. Like, like the, for very much for them, these are the businesses that have gone under. You don't hear about that, unfortunately. Right. It just, it doesn't make the news, right? The mainstream media, not to go down that road. I'm not saying I'm like Trump, but the mainstream media will only focus on things, big stories with names that people recognize. They're not going to talk about the small business that went, up, went under. Right. And that's what's really scary. I work exclusively in the SMB community and I see how many organizations are reaching out to us. Many of them saying, we didn't think this was a serious problem. We've now been hit. What do we do? We don't know how to recover, right? We need to recover this data or our business is going to go under in three days. Right. And it's really, really sad. It's almost like someone coming to you too late after they've had like a massive heart attack or a stroke and you say, I'm sorry, right? we're not miracle workers. We can't help you. If you're lucky enough to survive, we'll help you. But it's really sad at times. I'll share a story, Melanie, where the story is meant to illustrate the gap in misunderstanding with business owners, especially in, in the SMB space. There was a, must have been in her 70s, a 70-year-old widow who reached out to us, runs a small uh, manufacturing company here in Vancouver. She said, this was my late husband's company. He built it for over 35 years. He passed away and I wanted to continue his legacy. And she said, you know, we've been hit by ransomware. We've been down for almost a week and a half. And if we're down a few more days, the company's going to go down for good. Wow. Um, we were able to, from a partnership network, help recover some of the data. They were able to build some of that both somewhat manually and what we recovered and then you know we got them back up on their feet and then i say you know what this was your heart attack moment right like, this is what you need to do to make sure this doesn't happen again i said you told me how important this company is honoring your late husband's legacy here's what needs to be done and it was a fairly uh, straightforward proposal right? and it was a small business again i'm not deloitte i'm not going to charge 100k it was i think we were charging on an order of maybe uh, i think about 10k canadian to help them for the year and she looked at it and she said, oh, gosh, I, I thought security would maybe cost $100 a month. <laughs> and and Melly, I wish I could say that that was an exception, that disconnect. Disconnect is so common. And I told her, I said, do you not see the gap there? You told me that you almost lost something which is so valuable to you and to your late husband's legacy. But in the same breath, you're telling me that's only worth $100 a month. Do you not see the fundamental gap there in what you're telling me? And that's what, like I said, there's that disconnect that we still see in the SMB space, that cybersecurity is overlooked. It's seen as an IT issue. It's seen as, you know, we're too small to be targeted kind of thing. Do you think that those risks, specifically with the ransomware, are they coming from within North America or is it from overseas? That's a really good question. I'd say it's a bit of both. What we've seen is, again, predominantly cyber criminals, predominantly in, in Eastern Europe, Russia, they have really invested heavily in cybercrime. Cybercrime has actually surpassed the drug trade as being the most profitable crime in the world. And yeah. why? It's safer. It's much more scalable. Uh, you can commit those crimes anywhere in the world, right? You can be in the middle of the Pacific on a nice remote island and commit those crimes as long as you have Wi-Fi uh, or fairly stable internet connection. Well, that's and, good. At least you could be on the beach doing it. <laughs> at least you could be on the beach, right? Like, uh, and, and attribution, so being caught, is much, much harder. Right? We've seen what I refer to as the increased professionalization of cybercrime. 
long gone are the days where it was a pissed off teenager in his mom's basement, right? Again, that still does happen, but that's not where the main threat comes from. The main threat still is that criminals, criminal syndicate organizations have invested heavily in that. And what we're seeing is that on the defensive side, businesses, especially at the SMB level, collectively still take what I refer to as an amateur approach to cybersecurity. They have not increased their professionalization around taking cybersecurity or cyber risk management seriously. So you have this very unbalanced outcome now where you have a very well-armed adversary against unprepared, unwitting, and pretty much just unknowing defender. And that person generally is going to lose 10 times out of 10. So we see that, like I said, primarily in Eastern Europe. We see a lot of those organizations in South America, but they exist here in, in North America as well. There's things called ransomware as a service where anyone, literally you and I could go run a ransomware campaign because you know you can buy these tools online in underground markets and then you can buy them right it's become highly commoditized what so yes so that's how criminal groups are making money because they basically commoditized it and now are wow. selling it to other people so there are people here in north america who are committing those crimes as, as well melanie and i'm assuming just based on how common it is that there's really not a lot of laws that help protect businesses and business owners. We've still seen that policing forces are still really struggling with having the right resources in terms of policing the digital world. Right. So you think about the, it really is. It's crazy. It really, really is. And businesses are still very much on their own. They need to take it seriously. Right? The government uh, or police forces they are unfortunately not going to protect them, at least not at this point in time, in the digital world. Organizations need to take that seriously. Governments are enacting greater legislation and regulatory requirements, but again, it's still not doing enough to stem it from a criminal perspective. It's more so about making sure that organizations are at least doing things properly from a risk management perspective. Wow. What are some of the myths that you hear on a regular basis with regard to <laughs> cyber risk slash cybersecurity? There's the myths, and they do cause me to grade prematurely. Uh, you know, it's because I hear them time and time again. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, there's a couple. It's what I refer to as 1995 level mindset, where these myths they weren't rooted in truths, but the thing is, they were true in the past. They're not true in 2022. So things such as we have antivirus, we don't need cyber risk leadership. We're good. Antivirus, again, for most small businesses was great. 95 heck, even as late as 2005. That, so if you were wearing antivirus, fine, right? The majority of cyber attacks were not focused on small businesses. It's only in the past 10 years we've seen that. But again, mm -hmm. that's not true anymore. Myths such as I have cyber insurance. No, I'm good. We don't need any help. I bust that myth by saying, Hey, I have fire insurance. That doesn't mean that. I run around running, ripping out my fire extinguishers and ripping out my smoke alarms and lighting matches. Right. That cyber risk or cyber insurance is for dealing with what's referred to as the residual risk. After you've taken steps to address the inherent risk, you use a tool like insurance to insure against the, the risk that you're not able to reduce any further. Not to go down the, to the risk management path too much there, but it's a tool. It's not like Monopoly. It's not like a jail card. And right. That's why I tell a lot of people. And then the, the last myth is the we're too small to be targeted. No one's going to come after us. Again, that was true in 95. Heck, that was true in 2005. But like I said, about 2010, we saw a noticeable trend in cyber attacks globally, where the vast majority of cyber attacks now, and I believe something on the order of like 90% of global cyber attacks are focused on the small and mid-sized businesses. The reason why is that over the past 10 years, the organizations that have invested the most in digital transformation and coming online, what category are they? SMBs. The majority of enterprises were already 
online and they've had the gift of time of securing their practices, securing their digital environments. Small, mid-sized organizations have not. Do you think the reason that so many people are unaware of what is true today with cyber risk is just due to lack of awareness and just visibility in general because it is such a big moneymaker for those underground ransomware people? The main reason is that cybersecurity is seen as being in the domain of IT. I'd say that's why most of those myths prevail. That's where that gap still comes. I think a lot of people are aware of cybersecurity. Uh, very rarely do I hear people say, well, cybersecurity, what's that? Like, I, Most people do understand it. Right. But the common retort to it is that I have an IT guy, or that's why we pay our IT team. Right? That's why we pay our IT service provider. That, again, is ushering it out of the way. Right? The thing I always say to a CEO of a small business, I say, you know what? If I was to ask you about your organization's top legal risks or top operational risks, you're not going to say, ask the COO. You'll have a working understanding of what those risks are, and right. then you'll defer at a deeper level to your to your to, to the leader in that category. I said, cyber risk is no different. You can't say, I don't know. Talk to the IT guy. That you know, in That's this day and age, it's funny but it's, true. Oh, it, it really is because if there's a data breach or if there is a um, an incident, maybe customer data gets compromised, your employee data gets compromised, can't especially then that leads to a lawsuit. You can't say as a CEO, ah, I didn't know that it's the IT guy's fault. You know, find him. Right. No, no. As a CEO, you have oversight, ownership of those risks, right? Simply saying, I didn't know is no longer good enough. That is not a legally reasonable answer to give. And we've seen court cases that have held CEOs and boards accountable for not having the right levels of oversight and guidance. Wow. It's, it's a scary world out there. And if they don't have someone watching them and watching their back, you could be exposed to pretty much anything, it sounds like, if you don't sure. have the right protocols and controls in place. For sure. And, you know, the thing I, I try to tell people, because I mean, I hate coming from a place of fear and uncertainty, doubt. And I was, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't rocket science. If it was, I sure as heck would be it. I'm really not that intelligent. <laughs> you know, it just comes down to really embracing concepts like risk management and just like it's shattering a few myths and realizing that as a business owner, CEO, executive or board, you can't just defer that. Take the right steps. If you don't have the leadership in-house, reach out to organizations like ours. Again, I'm not trying to do a plug, but reach out to, okay, to, to, to third-party experts. Plug away. <laughs> <laughs> reach out to third-party experts who can then own that risk portfolio for you. Because at the, at the end of the day, you need to make sure that that risk, cyber, uh, that categorical risk of cyber risk, is being dealt with. And again, organizations like ours take a practical view when it comes to security. I, we understand that security doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right? It has to happen in the context of the business. Reaching out to third parties like ours, like CyberSC, uh, where you have that third-party expertise where someone can come in, own that cyber risk portfolio for the organization, and make sure that the right oversight and guidance is in place and that you're not just blindly trusting your IT guy or you're blindly trusting your IT service provider that you are asking the right questions, you're providing the right level of oversight and guidance. And like I said, whether it's in-house or leveraging third parties like ours, that's the role of the board, that's the role of the C-suite to make sure that that is, is sufficiently followed. So that I do believe it's possible. It's just like I said, most business owners right now, most business executives, especially in the SMB level, just are shifting it away because they view it as a technical issue in the domain of IT. And that's the biggest hurdle that we find right now. Wow. If you can give a business owner who's listening right now, who maybe doesn't have their business protected and is looking to potentially explore how to put in those controls in place for their business, what would be 
the number one piece of advice that you would give them? Oh, gosh, that is a really good question. I'll put it this way. From a technical perspective, the biggest thing that organizations can do right now is leverage what's called multi-factor authentication. That's where any email usage, any what's called remote access into your internal network, that you're not just using a username and password, you're using multi-factor authentication. So that could be a one-time PIN code that gets into your phone via SMS, maybe a code that gets your email. That really adds an uh, extra security for just easy speak, extra layer of security because usernames and passwords are a broken approach to securing things. They were created in the 50s and 60s for computer systems. The fact that we're still relying on them at this point still boggles my mind, but uh, <laughs> multi-factor multi authentication goes a long, long way in, in that work. From a broader risk management perspective, I'd say the biggest thing that organization can do is bring in the third party, have them assess your current, what I refer to as security maturity. Where are you on that maturity journey? What areas of security are you doing well? What areas are you not doing so well from a policy and process and technology and people level as well? Engaging a trusted third party and then making sure that you have a very strong roadmap in terms of where you want your security strategy to go and how that best aligns in supporting your business and, and your business is fine for growth as well. That makes so much sense. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, Dominic, we're coming towards the end of our time together. What is the best way for them to reach you if they want to learn more about what you do and just have further conversations with you? I appreciate you asking that, Melanie. So, I mean, as you know, I spend a tremendous amount of time trolling LinkedIn. Uh, so LinkedIn is one of the best spots to connect with me. I always appreciate connecting with people there. Uh, just look me up, Dominic Vogel. Although I don't post a lot about security, usually Tuesday is my security day. I post a lot about, again, just things that are important to me. And I think it's important to, to connect with people on a very deep human level, as well as people can reach out to us via our company website, cyber.sc, like Santa Claus. It's not just because I have a bushy beard. It's just it's easier to remember. <laughs> but so cyber.sc, uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at Dom Vogel, um, as well as if people want to learn more about cybersecurity. You know, we have a uh, podcast called the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast for which, Melanie, you were a fantastic guest. Yes. Uh, we, talk not just, we talk not just security, but have amazing human beings like Melanie come on the show. But it's a really great way for people to learn more about uh, security topics. I highly recommend about. anyone listening to it. Absolutely. For sure. So those are the best ways to get a hold of me, Melanie. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. This has been fascinating. It's been really interesting. And I know that you dropped so much knowledge that will help other businesses out there. So thank you. Melanie, thank you so much for giving me the platform. I really appreciate uh, chatting with you today, as always. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening today to Make the Connection with Melanie Borden. If you felt that this episode helped you and or your business, please go ahead and write me a review so I can continue to bring you the best content possible. By the way, if we are not connected yet on LinkedIn, let's connect. You can find me at www.linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Melanie Borden.